0: peace be with you from the Lord Jesus Christ. I encourage you to open your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke chapter 19, or it might actually be better just to read along in the worship order as I've selected uh, passages from Luke 19, put put them together for the sake of a unified story, uh, for the sake of the sermon this evening. As we enter into this story, I want you to know that This story is a story full of emotion. It's not full of anger and rage, but it is a story full of emotion. A story that is heavy on the heart of Jesus. And the thing that you will see and hear over and over again in this story are the tears of God coming through the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus drew near to a city he loved and he wept And I want you to know why he wept, and I want you to feel why he wept, and I want you to understand that he still weeps in some ways for the cities and the nations of this world. If you are willing and able, I invite you to stand for this reading of the Gospel of Jesus Christ from Luke 19. Open your hearts and open your minds and hear the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. As they heard these things, Jesus proceeded to tell a parable because he was near to Jerusalem and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. He said, therefore, a nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him, saying, We do not want this man to reign over us. When he returned, having received a kingdom, he said to those who stood by, As for these enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. And when he had said these things, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. As he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. that is the word of the Lord. May God add his blessings to the reading, the preaching, and the hearing of his word. And all the church says, you may be seated. Ever since we were in Luke 9, going all the way back to July 29th, Jesus has been resolutely fixed on going up to Jerusalem. He set his face like flint to go up to Jerusalem. And now, as he draws near to his final destination, you can feel the tension is mounting, reaching the breaking point. In the context of Luke 19, we see both condemnation and salvation coming to the least likely of people. The ones we expect to be condemned are saved, and the ones we expect to be saved are condemned. The blind see and the seeing are blind. The Son of Man comes to seek and save the lost. We hear a parable about a king who was rejected by his own people. He will come and execute judgment on his enemies and put them to death. And this parable itself foreshadows the ascension of Jesus to a faraway place. And then the destruction of Jerusalem upon his return. You can feel in the story the clash of worldviews between Jesus and the masses. The crowds, on one hand, are cheering about blessing and peace because of all that they've seen Jesus do. But in the midst of that party, in the midst of that fiesta, Jesus is crying. About curses and warfare that will befall the city in front of them. In the midst of all of this tension and chaos, Jesus looks up and he sees the walls of the city of Jerusalem, the gates going into the city, a city known as the City of Peace. And he is overcome with raw emotion. This is not the silent, internal weeping that Jesus did at the tomb of Lazarus when his friend had died. No, this is loud, external wailing. Jesus is wailing outside the walls of Jerusalem. Some say Jesus wept because he loved the city of God, the city of peace. After all, Jerusalem was the gravitational center of his life and ministry. As Jesus draws near to Jerusalem, you can imagine a stream of personal memories and experiences flooding back into his mind, washing over him. We've seen some of these things in the Gospel of Luke. When Jesus was just a baby after he was circumcised and given the sign of circumcision, the sign of the covenant at Bethlehem, his parents then brought him up to Jerusalem and dedicated him to God at the temple. They made sacrifices for him there to redeem him as their firstborn son. And while they were still in the temple, in the court of the temple, an elderly man named Simeon came up and took Jesus from Mary's arms and held the baby in his arms and prophesied, Behold, this child is set for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign which will be spoken against. Shortly after that, an elderly woman named Anna came up and started prophesying and preaching the good news about Jesus to all the people. After that, Jesus came to Jerusalem with his parents every year for the Passover festival. And every year they offered a lamb for their family and they ate the Passover meal together as a family, as all the other Jewish families would do. And one year, when Jesus was 12 years old, he slipped away from his family and stayed at the temple and sat in the midst of teachers questioning and listening to them. And he explains that from his youth on, he knew that his life and mission was to be about his father's business. All of these early childhood memories of Jesus being in Jerusalem and at the temple now come to The top of his heart and the forefront of his mind. Fast forward about 21 years and Jesus is going up to Jerusalem again for the last time. This is the first time in Luke's gospel, by the way, since that childhood story when he was 12, that we see Jesus going up to Jerusalem. Luke's been holding out on us, saving it for this moment. To show us that as Jesus draws near to Jerusalem with his heart breaking and his eyes filled with tears and moans and wails flowing out of his mouth, he has in mind the flood of scriptures from the law and the prophets. They are breaking over his heart and mind and soul. Jerusalem is the place that God had chosen to put his name, his temple, and his throne. Jerusalem is the place where God said he will deal with the sins of the world once and for all. Just a few days before going up to Jerusalem, Jesus warned his disciples that they were about to walk into the storm of all storms. When he said to them, see, we are going up to Jerusalem and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. He will be delivered over to the Gentiles and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him. And on the third day, he will rise. This is not going to happen according to blind luck. It's not going to happen according to chance, but according to the word of God, by the providence of God. Jesus knew what going to Jerusalem meant. He was shaped by the word of God inside and out. He knew where he was going, why he was going, and what was going to happen when he got there. And he went anyway. And so now, more than ever, we see Jesus starting to feel the heartbreaking realities of his mission. He feels the heavy weight of the cross bearing down upon his soul. Unlike years past when he went up to Jerusalem for pleasure, for praise, and for worship. On this occasion, he goes up to Jerusalem for punishment and pain. He's not going up to offer a lamb for Passover. He's going up to offer himself as the Passover lamb. He's not going up to offer sacrifices for sins. He is going up to offer himself as the sacrifice to end all sacrifices for sin. He's not going up to Jerusalem to be held by devout elderly men and women again. He's going up to be handed over by elders and priests unto death. He is going up to Jerusalem to perish. As he predicted back in Luke 13... I must go on my way, for it cannot be that a prophet should perish away from Jerusalem. He is going up to Jerusalem to fulfill God's purposes for his life. After all, he has known from his childhood on that he must be about his father's business. And so it is for all of these reasons that Jesus wept and wailed. But these are not even the only reasons for which Jesus wept and wailed. Earlier in Luke's gospel, Jesus had offered up this lament for the city of Jerusalem, which he loved. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How? Often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, yet you were not willing. Behold, your house is forsaken. To be forsaken means to be left desolate, abandoned, empty laid to waste. As Jesus makes his way up to Jerusalem, he did not mask his heartfelt emotion for Jerusalem. He was not weeping and crying for sentimental reasons. He was not wailing for nostalgia. He was weeping for truth and justice. He wept for ruin and the world's end. Like others who came before him, he wept. Like kings and priests and prophets, he wept. He wept like David wept in 2 Samuel 15 when David was escaping Jerusalem and making his way up the Mount of Olives in the midst of a revolution. All the land wept and all the people passed by, and the king crossed the brook Kidron, and all the people passed out of the city toward the wilderness. And David went up the ascent of Mount of Olives, weeping as he went, barefoot and with his head covered. And all the people were with him, covered their heads, and they went up weeping as they went. Jesus wept like the prophet Jeremiah, who lamented in Jeremiah 9. Oh, that my head were waters and my eyes a fountain of tears, that I might weep day and night for the slain of my daughter, the daughter of my people. Oh, that I had in the desert a traveler's lodge, a place where I might leave my people and go from them. And Yahweh adds his voice to Jeremiah's to say, I will take up weeping and wailing for the mountains and the lamentation for the pastures of the wilderness because they are laid waste so that no one passes through them. If you will not listen, my soul will weep in secret for your pride. My eyes will weep bitterly and run down with tears because the Lord's flock has been taken captive. Jesus wept like the priest Ezra in Ezra 10, where Ezra prayed and made confession in Jerusalem, weeping and casting himself down before the house of God. A very great assembly of men, women, and children gathered. People weeping bitterly. And Ezra withdrawing from before the house of God, spending the night neither eating bread nor drinking water, for he was mourning over the faithlessness of the exiles. And so like the kings and the prophets and the priests who came before him, Jesus goes up to Jerusalem weeping, weeping over Jerusalem as the true and better king and weeping over Jerusalem as the true and better prophet and weeping over Jerusalem as the true and better priest. Why? Because Jesus had seen the dark side of Jerusalem, not just in his generation, but in all the generations past. And he wept because of her many sins, sins which had provoked God and invited God to visit Jerusalem with terrible, horrible judgments. So Jesus wept because God's judgment was about to befall the city. And notice that Jesus gives a gut-wrenching description of this distress and total devastation that awaited Jerusalem, that Jerusalem would suffer when God's judgment fell upon her. In context of Luke's gospel, Jesus had commanded parents to let children and nursing babies come to him and not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. He has the best interest of these parents and children in mind. He wants them to be safe and secure, not only now, but tomorrow and forever. You fast forward a little bit as he goes up to Jerusalem and he warns disobedient parents that covenant curses will soon fall upon them, and they and their children will be surrounded and hemmed in and torn down to the ground by fierce enemies. In Luke 18, Jesus had said, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. But here in Luke 19, Jesus explains that what is about to happen to those who refuse him will happen to those who did not humble themselves as children and take his word to heart. Now, Jesus is not just waxing poetic for shock's sake, for shock value. He's not resorting to scare tactics uh, just for effect. He has come up to Jerusalem like a covenant prosecutor. And he's echoing the covenant of blessing and curses and showing that this is a critical life and death situation, as it is written in Deuteronomy 28. All these curses shall come upon you and pursue you and overtake you until you are destroyed because you did not obey the voice of the Lord your God to keep his covenants and his statutes that he commanded you. They shall besiege you in all your towns until your high and fortified walls in which you trusted come down throughout your land. And you shall eat the fruit of your womb, the flesh of your sons and daughters, whom the Lord your God has given you in the siege and in the distress which your enemies shall distress you. If you are not careful to do all the words of this law that are written in this book, that you may fear this glorious and awesome name, the Lord your God, then the Lord your God will bring on you and your offspring extraordinary afflictions, afflictions severe and lasting. That judgment was brought upon Jerusalem Many times leading up to the time Jesus goes up into Jerusalem. But this time will be the last time. Do you remember two sermons back when we heard Jesus warn his followers about the coming of the Son of Man? And remember how I tried to get you to see that that's about not the end of the whole world, as people like to say, but about the end of that world. Jesus here is just picking up where he left off talking about the end of the Jewish world, the end of their age, the end of Judea and Jerusalem. It is for this reason that Jesus is weeping and wailing as he draws near to Jerusalem. A couple things here. He weeps as a man on one hand, but he did not weep as a man only. For remember, Jesus is the God-man. And so when Jesus goes up to Jerusalem weeping, he is weeping both as God and man. He is shedding the tears of God and showing by his tears that God grieves over the sinful condition of the world. That God does not take delight in the death of the wicked. As he said in Ezekiel 33, As I live, declares the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn, turn from your evil way. For why should you die, O house of Israel? So according to Jesus, the foundational reason for the judgment of Jerusalem was this. He says it. You did not know the time of your visitation. The word visitation here in Greek is the word episkope. we get our English word episcopal from this word. It's a word that refers to supervision, to watching over, to looking out for people. And when it's related to God, it has reference to God's gracious supervision, his gracious watching out and looking over his people. In generations past, visitation meant more than just coming over and hanging out. If you had a visitor, you had someone who was there to inspect your life, inspect your house, inspect your stuff. That's what a visitor was, someone who was there to look at what was going on. We confuse visitors and guests. A visitation meant there was someone who was going to provide an inspection and bring about a resolution. There would be an examination and then a solution to any problems they found. In the Old Testament, God visited his people on many occasions. He visited his people at many times and in many ways. He visited his people in the garden, in Canaan, in Egypt and in other places in order to see how they were and what they needed. But throughout the Old Testament, God promised that he would visit his person, his people in person, visit his people in the flesh. And he kept his promise when Jesus Christ was conceived in the womb of the Virgin Mary. When Jesus Christ came into the world, and we saw this early in our series in the Gospel of Luke. I remind you of some things that might have been long forgotten by now. But in the song of Zechariah, going all the way back to Luke 1, remember that old priest sang over his newborn baby boy, John. And he sang about their Savior. Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. He was singing about God in the flesh and Jesus Christ coming to visit the people on high to bring a gracious, light-giving, peace-bearing visit. Later on in Luke's Gospel, we see Jesus walking through a town and He sees a widow weeping. A widow weeping because she has lost her only son, her one and only son. And Jesus goes up to the funeral bier and He says to the young man who was lying there dead, young man, get up. And He raises the widow's son from the dead. What does that look like in context of the song of Zechariah? It looks like Jesus Raising the widow's son from the dead is giving light to those who sat in darkness. He is bringing light to those in the shadow of death. And when the crowd around sees this happen, the crowd literally goes wild. Fear sees them all and they glorified God saying, God has visited his people. And the report about him spread through the whole of Judea and all the surrounding country. And yet, sadly, this news was not known in Jerusalem. For she did not know the time of her visitation. She was not watching and waiting for the Lord to come. She was not expecting God to come with a gracious visit to look out for her, to watch over her. To Jerusalem, Jesus was an unexpected stranger and an unknown visitor. But to to Jesus, Jerusalem was an unbelievable mess. Jesus saw the hypocrisy, spiritual blindness, and nationalistic pride of Jerusalem and he wept. He saw her ignorance, her unwilling spirit, her violence against the prophets, and he wept. He saw her racism against the Gentiles, her apostasy and backsliding, her idolatries, and he wept. He saw her covenant breaking, her disobedience to the law, her unfaithfulness to God, and he wept. When Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, the invisible billboards around the city were screaming at him, we do not want you to be king over us. We do not want this man to reign over us. We don't want you, Jesus. And as a result, Jesus gave them what they wanted. He answered that request but not in the way they expected. With tears in his eyes, he made it clear that his enemies would soon forfeit their lives and be put to death by his authority in his presence at the coming of the Son of Man. That all who revolted and rebelled against his reign would soon be cut down and cast off. And if I pause long enough, we'll take a sigh of relief and say, I'm so glad I'm not from Jerusalem. That was then, this is now, and this could never happen to me. But I wonder if in your heart of hearts, there is a part of you screaming, I don't want this man to reign over me. We look around our city, we look around our state, our nation, and what is being screamed. We see it everywhere. We don't want this man to reign over us. We don't want a king. We want our freedom, our autonomy. We're going to do it our way. We don't need Jesus unless he wants to be our mascot. And the warning that rang out For the people of Jerusalem in the day of Jesus is a warning that we must hear today. If you don't want Jesus to be the King of your life and the Lord of your life and to reign over you, He will honor that desire and prayer and request. He'll give you what you want and everything that comes with it. His enemies will forfeit their lives. They will be put to death and cut down by His authority in their presence. In His presence. But what of those who do want Jesus to be King? What of those who are still saying, blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace on earth and glory to God in the highest. He will reign over them with truth, truth and justice. Thy throne, O God, will last forever and ever. The Psalmist tells us kiss the sun, lest he be angry, and I urge you with all your hearts, if you've not kissed the sun, kiss the sun lest he be angry. How shall we live and what shall we say to these things? Let us test and examine our ways and return to the Lord. And let us lift up our hearts and hands to God in heaven and seek Him while He may be found.